Previously on Space Train, Doug and the cadets followed a tip from the doctor to the rocket man's lair. There they found the doctor's plans, not just for his past attacks, but also for a future attack on Earth. Fistbots attacked the cadets, and Doug was knocked unconscious. When he awoke, he and his team were back on the space train. Not only had they made it out with a download of the rocket man's plans, but also his old academy yearbook. Lydia showed them a picture of a young rocket man. The cadets couldn't believe it. The rocket man once attended the Academy of Wanderers? And now for season two, episode 12, An Unnatural Disaster. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. It's time to be the be more to his plan, Doug said, pacing around the podium in the planetarium. The rocket man's plans were being projected across the domed ceiling above. The rest of the cadets lay sprawled out in their chairs, exhausted from the hours they'd spent poring over the records. We simply don't have enough information, Goro said, pointing up at the screen. Lydia scanned the projection above. Maybe there's something in your memory bank from your academy days that will help us prepare for the attack? As I have told you, I have no memory of the Rocket Man attending the Academy. Memories of my time teaching there are limited, and no matter how hard I try, I can't remember most of the students I taught. It is unfortunate, but a price I gladly pay to have my consciousness restored to my rebuilt mind crystal. He nodded his appreciation to Doug. Doug looked at Lydia. Even if Goro did remember the Rocket Man, I doubt he'd remember anything about him that would help. Dallas pretended to be Goro remembering the Rocket Man. He had a squeaky voice and was obsessed with punching things. Lydia laughed. No, that would be his memory of you. <laughs> yeah, right. My voice has never been squeaky. Goro continued. We're doing what we can to prepare. Surveillance drones have been sent to the Milky Way galaxy, and we have alerted our Earth contacts. The Rocket Man sends anything within range, we will pick it up and intercept him before he can attack. Doug wasn't satisfied. What about all the gifted kids on the pickup list? He's clearly planning on taking them, so why don't we get there before he does and take them back to the Academy? Those kids on Earth are in danger. We need to get to them before it's too late. I understand your concern, Captain, Goro said, but the situation is more delicate than that. Delicate? Dallas scoffed. We fly in, scoop them up, and fly away. What's so delicate about that? 
Leo nodded in agreement. I wish it were that simple, Goro sighed. Unfortunately, there are families to consider. The last group of prospective students does not have parents who were once part of the academy. It will be a tricky negotiation to get the kids off-world. Even more problematic is the status of Earth's extraterrestrial relations. What do you mean? Lydia asked. Despite numerous spacecraft landings and even occasional encounters with off-world beings, the nations of Earth have proven time and again that they are not ready for direct contact with alien beings. A flying-trained spaceship will be perceived as a threat. It will cause an uproar, and the sudden appearance of our alien friend Leo will put them on the defensive. <laughs> oh, please, Dallas snorted. Leo barely looks alien. As long as we keep him away from any Dance Dance Revolution arcade games, they won't know the difference. Goro's screen mouth displayed a frown. And what about when they see an intelligent robot life form that is light years ahead of their current artificial intelligence? Dallas rubbed his chin. Mmm, yeah, you might weird people out. I get what you're saying, Goro, Doug said. But even if we are seen, it's a risk we're going to have to take to save those kids. He's going to attack Earth for crying out loud. Isn't it better for everyone to see the space train and its friendly crew before the crazy rocket man shows up in his fist ship? That is a valid point, Goro said. But I still strongly believe we should try to avoid detection if at all possible. Perhaps we can retrieve the prospective students and stop the rocket man's attack without the humans of Earth ever knowing. Leo typed something into the computer and brought up images of meteors entering Earth's atmosphere. Then he pointed to the space train around him and gestured an angular landing. Excellent idea, Leo, Goro said. If we can time our descent into Earth with any incoming meteorites or meteor showers, we may go undetected. Once we're on the surface, there are likely to be a few witnesses, but not nearly as many if we would be noticed in the sky. Leo... Map all meteors scheduled to enter Earth's atmosphere. We will have to lower the train shield so that we burn hot coming in and look like any other meteors around us. Doug looked between Leo and Goro. So, we're going? Goro's metal mustache turned up in a smile. That is correct, Captain. As the space train glided towards the Milky Way galaxy... Doug headed to his room to respond to the latest shipment of fan mail. As he passed by Leo's room, he heard Goro talking. He stopped and listened. I understand this is something you are passionate about, Leo, but it is too dangerous, not to mention illegal, for someone of your age to wield such power. You already contribute in many other valuable ways to this team. You do not need this. And I want you to stop contacting him. Are we clear? Good. Doug hurried past the room before Leo or Goro could notice him. Dangerous and illegal? What kind of power was Leo trying to wield? Did this have something to do with that weird project he'd caught him working on? Doug's thoughts followed him to his room and distracted him while he responded to fan mail. Dallas eventually walked by carrying a handful of chocolate bars and stopped in the doorway. Oh, 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 let me guess. That one says, Dear Captain Mindbuilder, can you build me a bunch of Christmas presents? He teased. One puppy coming right up, Doug joked. 
The day they want me to be Santa Claus, I'm calling it quits. He pointed to his box of fan mail. Have you been dealing with this stuff lately? Fan mail? <laughs> oh, yeah. I get, like, buckets of it every day. Like, buckets, you know? <laughs> I'm like, dudes, the guy's got to sleep, right? <laughs> Dallas could tell by the look on Doug's face that his lie wasn't very convincing. Doug played along anyway. Yeah, well, I think it's important we respond so the people keep believing there's good out in the universe. Gives people hope, even if their view of us is exaggerated. You should see what some of these people ask me to mind-build for them. He picked up one of the letters. Dear mind-builder, I've always wanted a hover bike. Can you mind-build me one? Make it green with a yellow lightning bolt down the side. Please drop it off at my friend Robin's house so my parents don't see it. Doug put down the letter. That's basically 90% of the mail I get. At least they gave you a sweet nickname. The Crusher? Come on, that's pretty awesome. Mind Builder's a nickname. I think it's pretty rad. Eh, it's more of a title than an actual nickname, but it could be a lot worse. There was a long silence. Dallas finally broke it. Look, dude, about that surfing lesson on your birthday... Don't worry about it, Doug interrupted. Dallas nodded toward his armful of chocolate bars. Well, I better go check on Blaberta. They're back in the caboose gearing up to take a trip back to Gorf. Apparently, Blobby's honey is missing her family, so he promised her they'd go visit. I told them I'd see him off. Anything you want me to tell them? Sure. Tell them... Dallas nodded, impressed. Right on. What does that mean? I have no idea. Dallas smiled. See you around, Capitan. An hour later, Doug watched Blaberta and their family jet off in a capsule for Gorf out his porthole window. He turned back to his desk to sign his last stack of posters when Goro's voice sounded through his room's intercom. Pardon the interruption, Captain. Yes? You are needed in the cockpit. We have received a distress signal from the Vega system. On my way. By the time Doug reached the cockpit, the rest of the cadets were already there. What's going on? He asked Goro. Goro brought up an image of a cloudy planet on the cockpit screen. We received an urgent distress signal from a small moon in the Vega system. It's brief, but from what I can gather, the entire population is in danger. They clicked a few buttons and the screen zoomed in to show the planet's surface, covered in fist-sized holes. Tornadoes, hailstorms, and floods swept over the surface. Fury, as most of us call this moon, is known for its frequent extreme weather events. These small holes on the surface of the planet are pop-up shelters. The citizens of Fury carry with them at all times a key that fits into those holes and releases the pop-up shelter. The Furians are nomadic people that are constantly on the move, so having a shelter everywhere with the turn of a key is essential. But more importantly, if a storm comes through, they have protection no matter where they are. Let me guess, Dallas interrupted. The key stopped working. Precisely. The distress signal was sent by Chesley, a prominent storm preacher on the planet. 
He is among a small group of Furians that predict and warn the people of any abnormally large storms in the forecast. His message indicates that the key system has stopped working for the first time in 3,000 years, and the largest storm of the century is expected to happen any day. Ugh, how far is Fury from Earth? Doug asked. It is a detour. It may set us back at least a day. Lydia looked at Doug. We've never turned down a distress signal. We don't know when the Rocket Man plans to attack Earth. We might have plenty of time. Dory's on his way there now, Dallas said. Leo shook his head, then pointed to the image of Fury on the screen and pointed to himself. I'm with Leo, Lydia agreed. We can't leave those people exposed to the storm. Doug thought it over. Oh, what if Dallas was right? What if the rocket man was heading to Earth right now? By the time their surveillance drones warn them, they might be in the middle of this new mission. Would it be too late to get back? How big is the upcoming storm? He asked. Leo typed into the computer and brought up a weather model of a storm. It looked like the giant hurricane covered most of the planet's surface. There was a collective whoa as its massive scale became apparent. Okay, we'll go, Doug said. But we have to make it quick. Do we know where this Chesley is? Goro nodded. Affirmative, Captain. I will input his coordinates and set the course for fury. The space train made a sharp turn and rocketed through space, weaving through planets and suns until it reached the Vega system. Fury was nothing but a little gray ball floating among several much larger gaseous planets. As the train began its descent, Fury's swirling clouds became clearer. Lightning flashed sporadically across the thick gray layer. The train shook as it passed through. Bursts of light filled the windows. When they shot out the other end of the clouds, it was raining hard. Oily black drops pelted the cockpit window. Once the ship was brought to a low hover, Doug and the cadets headed for the exit bay, suited up, and stepped off the ramp. Doug nearly tripped as he walked onto the planet's surface. The ground was slippery from the rain, and the holes in the ground were big enough for your foot to fit into. Oily liquid from the rain pooled in the holes and ran in little streams. Strange leafless trees and plants covered the pale surface like massive stringy roots, as if the trees had been planted upside down. Black raindrops pelted the cadets' white suits, leaving dark splotches. Someone in a white cloak was waiting for them at the end of the ramp. You must be Chesley, Doug said, approaching the man. The man pulled back his hood, revealing an older face. He had a hooked nose, pointy ears, and thin roots that grew from his bald head and chin. The stringy roots made it look as though there were plants growing under his skin. Despite his unique appearance, there was nothing threatening about him. He was short, and the expression lines on his face indicated he often smiled on better days. I am Chesley, the man said, bowing his head. Thank you for honoring us with your presence. When word of the great mind builder and his friends reached us, I knew you were the answer we were looking for. Dallas rolled his eyes and snorted. Chesley noticed. What is this eye movement? He mimicked the eye roll. What is being communicated? Dallas was caught off guard. 
What? Uh, oh, uh, that was just me checking my surroundings. Whenever I see something new, I just... He rolled his eyes again. Lydia, Doug, and Leo shot him a look. Of course, Chesley said. You can never be too careful these days. Again, thank you for coming. Our situation is desperate. How did this happen? Doug asked. We noticed the change several days ago. A series of smaller storms came through in the morning hours, but when we stuck our shelter keys into the ground, nothing happened. When is the storm coming? Lydia asked. Chesley held out his hand and started turning the rings on his fingers, lining up the alien symbols. The signs point to an imminent arrival. It could be today, it could be tomorrow. Leo pointed to the holes and gestured typing. Lydia interpreted. Is there a central control for the key system somewhere on the planet? There is, Chesley said. But that is the issue. It has been damaged. We don't know how or who could have done this, but we have no way of repairing it. The controls are ancient, and the damage is severe. Take us to it, Doug said. As you wish, Chesley bowed. This way. The cadets were led through a valley of root trees, where many Furian families sought shelter under the leafless branches. Some hid under their strange root-haired camels. Others huddled in groups, making a shelter of sorts with their bodies and protecting the children in the middle. The rain was falling harder now. The storm was building. Even in the protection of his spacesuit, Doug could feel the force of the wind growing stronger. He found it more difficult to walk into it, the increased gust forcing him to lean into his steps. He glanced up at the dark clouds above. They were swirling together and flashing with lightning. He'd never seen such long, thick lightning in his life. Distracted, his foot caught one of the holes in the ground and he tripped. Lydia caught him. You okay? I'm good, thanks. He looked back up at the menacing sky. Lydia looked up at it too. I don't think we have until tomorrow to fix this. Dallas walked by. Don't worry, Lydia. Doug will just mind build a new planet for him. He slugged Doug playfully on the arm. Maybe you can just punch the storm in the face, Lydia teased. Maybe I will, Dallas laughed. Doug looked around at all the desperate Furians. He's right. If the system is ancient and impossible for me to understand, my mind-building will probably do us no good. Lydia nodded to Leo. Maybe Leo will have some tricks up his sleeve. We're a team, remember? Doug sighed. I know, I didn't mean... I know what you meant. You put too much on yourself, Doug. We'll figure it out as a team. That made Doug feel better, but only for a minute. Pretty soon his attention was back on the intensifying weather that only made his worrying worse. He watched the clouds go darker and darker. Lightning flashed through them, revealing a submarine-like shadow in the clouds that made Doug stop. What the? The object was gone in the next flash of lightning. So he shook it off and continued on with the group. 
They reached a large mound covered in roots. A steel door in its side opened when they approached and slowly closed behind them after they entered. It sealed shut with a thud, and the outside storm was instantly muted. Glowing orbs, hanging in pendant cages, lit the room with beautiful blue light. Keys of all shapes and sizes hung from the walls and dangled from the ceilings. Each was wrapped with wires and bulging with tiny cogs. This is the key sanctuary, Chesley said, pointing to the keys. Thousands of years ago, our forefathers made these keys and buried shelters across the entire planet. They were always on the move, fleeing the worst storms and seeking refuge on the outer edges of our lands during the Black Sky Age. This is their work. The storms have grown worse over the years. If it weren't for the key shelters, our kind would have long been extinct. Why don't you just move to another planet? Dallas asked. Lydia elbowed him. This is all we've known, Chesley answered. Our storm voyages are a way of life. Storm preachers like myself help the people navigate the more treacherous times of the year. But otherwise, we live in peace. Dallas raised his eyebrows. This is peace? Dallas? Lydia growled. What? Chesley wasn't bothered. For us, the noise is normal. The noise is comfort. The sky is alive, and we are more alive because of it. One can still find peace amidst the noisy danger of a turbulent world. You surf, Doug reminded Dallas. That's dangerous and noisy, having huge waves crashing around you. And yet you still love it? Storms are normal for the Furians. I imagine if the storm stopped, everyone here would feel unsettled. Indeed, Chesley said with a nod. He walked over to the far wall and pointed to a vertical strip of panel surrounded by buttons. He was smashed to pieces. This is the heart of the sanctuary. It is what keeps the key shelters working. Dallas leaned against the wall next to it. I'm going to take a wild guess and say that someone intentionally smashed it. That would be an accurate assessment, Chesley said, scratching his chin. Doug studied the damage. I don't think I can rebuild this. He glanced at Lydia, who nodded to Leo. Leo, want to take a crack at it? Leo smiled and gave him a thumbs up. Taking out his portable computer, he plugged into the exposed circuit board of the sanctuary's heart and went to work. Chesley marveled at the boy's work. Leo's hands moved impossibly fast, and the code scrolling across his screen was completely foreign to him. How long will this take? Chesley asked. Leo shrugged. Dallas patted the man on the shoulder. Trust me, he'll have this kitty purring in no time. I once couldn't figure out how to print something on my computer. It took this dude like three seconds to figure it out. Lydia looked at him. You couldn't figure out how to print something? The icon looked nothing like a printer, okay? It looked like a one-eyed robot sticking its tongue out. 
Leo's computer made an error sound. That didn't sound good, Doug said, walking over to him. What's wrong? Leo gestured that the code was too old for his system to hack. Can you write a new program for it? Doug suggested. Leo thought for a moment and then nodded, but gestured that it would take time. We don't have time, Chesley said, sounding more desperate. Well, we don't have other options, Doug told him. He looked at Leo. Go for it. See if you can get the key shelters back online. Leo grabbed a key off the wall, plugged it into the damaged sanctuary heart, and started typing code feverishly. Dallas sighed. Oh, this is the boring part. I'll help pass the time by singing my favorite country song. <clears throat> I cried inside my truck and I... And mud on my jeans and... She broke my heart and... Can someone please stop him? Chesley asked. Too late, he's on a roll, Doug said, walking over and grabbing keys off the walls. He handed them out to everybody. If we cut this close, we might need these. Lydia, can you see what we're up against? I'll try. She closed her eyes and focused on a vision. A few seconds later, her eyes opened and she gasped for air. It's not good. Not good? Dallas finally stopped singing. Like tornado not good or hurricane not good? Like hurricane, tornado, flood, hail, and lightning not good. Can you tell how soon it'll be here? Doug asked. Lydia shook her head. I couldn't, sorry. But I can tell you it's headed this way. It is headed every way, Chesley said, starting to panic. The storm is the biggest the planet has seen in generations. Most of the surface will be affected. How will this place fare in a storm this big? Doug asked, nodding to the sanctuary. Chesley shook his head. It has weathered many storms, but it has been years since it has stood up against something this fierce. It has been degraded over the years, so there's no telling how long it will last. It may crumble upon us. Doug quickly leaned over Leo, who was typing like a maniac. How's it coming, buddy? Leo teetered his hand. That's not reassuring. He needs more time, Lydia said. We don't have it. Chesley held up his hand. The rings on his fingers were spinning and glowing. Click, 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 click. They all stopped, revealing a troubling sequence of alien characters. Chesley looked up at the kids in horror. It is here. Crack, boom. Thunder shook the sanctuary, making the keys sway and jingle all around them. We gotta take this on the road, Doug shouted. Leo, can you program on the move? Leo nodded and then plugged a wireless transmitter into the sanctuary's heart. Let's go, Doug said, leading the way. They ran out of the sanctuary into the storm outside. The clouds were so dark they were black now. Much of the rain had turned into large hail that battered their spacesuits. Lydia handed Chesley a bag to hold over his head as they ran. Lightning webbed through the clouds and blasted down around them. Crack, boom, crack, boom. Furians fled, screaming. Many tried desperately to plug their keys into the shelter holes in the ground, only to cry out when nothing happened. Rain fell in sheets. What were once streams of black liquid were now raging rapids. Goro! Doug shouted into his headset. We're headed your way! Have the exit bay ready! 
bringing the train around now, Goro answered. Doug looked at his team. Leo, I'm strapping you onto my front. Dallas, you do the same with Chesley. Before the poor Furion could object, he was buckled to the front of Dallas's spacesuit as Leo was strapped to Doug. Jetpacks ready? Doug, Lydia, and Dallas charged their jetpacks. Blast off! They flew off the ground away from the pursuing storm. Behind them, low dark clouds swirled together until a horizontal funnel formed. A sideways tornado barreled towards them like a raging rolling pin of wind. Lightning flashed within and shot out along the surface like blazing tentacles. Doug and the cadets could instantly feel the tug of the wind sucking them back towards it. The static from the bolts made their hair stand up in their head bubbles. Strapped to Doug's chest, Leo worked frantically to get the key shelter program done. Chesley looked back over Dallas's shoulder at the charging storm. My people, they can't outrun it! Lydia looked down at the fleeing Furians. We have to do something! Can we evacuate them? There's no time! Doug shouted. His mind raced as he looked around for answers. The storm raged on. Multiple horizontal tornadoes had formed, wreaking havoc on the planet's surface. But even worse, a dark line now appeared in the distance. Is that... Doug squinted back at it. Water! Dallas shouted. It's a tidal wave! Staring at the incoming wave, Doug suddenly remembered what Lydia had told him. Don't rely on yourself. We'll figure it out as a team. Goro! He shouted into his headset. Get me on the line with the Academy of Wanders. I want all the students hooked up to the connector, now! Right away! A minute later, Goro's voice chimed into their headsets. The Wanders are hooked up to the connector and ready for orders, Captain. Good. Send them our coordinates and tell them to start building giant barricades along the Furian surface. We need to slow down this wave long enough to get Leo's program online. Commencing the build now, Captain. Within seconds, the Wanderers back at the Academy put their minds together and sent their creation. A giant laser hummed through space and pierced through the clouds behind Doug and his team. A massive barricade materialized at the tip of the laser. Once it was complete, the laser blasted again and again, each time forming a new wall. Crash! Crash! The giant wave slammed into the walls, slowing its charge with every collision. More barricades appeared. Splash! Splash! Captain, Goro said, Etho has just informed me that the students are losing mental stamina. They only have strength for a couple more. Give us everything they've got! The last two barricades went up and the waves slammed into them, sending dark water spraying. The barricades created some distance between the crashing wave and the fleeing Furians. It was buying them time. Crack! Doug saw a lightning bolt strike the space train up ahead. Lights along its cars blinked on and off. Captain? Came Goro's voice. I'm afraid if I bring the train any closer, the lightning strikes will shut the train systems down. This metal craft is like a lightning rod. Stay where you are, Doug ordered. We'll come to you. Leo? Leo gestured that he was almost done. Just a few more keystrokes. Beep. The program was complete. Leo gave the thumbs up. Head for the holes, Doug shouted. They turned their jetpacks down and flew for the surface. As soon as they landed, they rammed their keys into the holes. Click! The ground around them hummed to life. Thick brown igloo shot up out of the ground, 
and close around each person. Seeing Doug and his crew's igloos go up, the rest of the fleeing Furians began thrusting their keys into the ground, making key shelters pop up all over the surface. Click, shoom, click, click, shoom, shoom. Doug and Leo sat in an igloo by themselves, catching their breaths and listening intently. Sounds of the storm pounded against the outside of their shelter. Boys looked at each other in shock under the glow of the shelter's little overhead light. You did it, Doug mumbled. You did it! Even Leo was surprised with himself. The two celebrated, hugging each other and jumping up and down. An hour later, when the storm finally quieted down, Doug pulled his key out of the hole and the shelter retracted back into the wet surface around them. Everything was soaked. Torn up root trees were everywhere. Storm clouds dispersed in the distance. The thunder became a faint rumble. The most vibrant rainbows Doug had ever seen stretched across the sky in all directions. Doug and Leo marveled at the thousands of igloos around them. One by one, they retracted back into the ground, and the Furians threw their hands up in celebration. Dallas and Lydia's shelters retracted, and they too joined in the celebration. You did it, Chesley said, giving them each a hug. He took Doug's hand and shook it vigorously. You are every bit as heroic as they say. It was a team effort, Doug told him. But if we're going to highlight someone, it'd be this guy right here. He pushed Leo forward and Chesley gave him a big hug. Furians ran up and celebrated with him. Dallas looked at Doug and gave him a smiling nod. Did you guys see that? Lydia interrupted the celebration. What, Leo's mad programming skills? Dallas joked. No, something big just streaked overhead. It was blue or, or purple. It was gone before I could get a good look at it. Goro, did you get a read on any objects flying over us? Doug asked into his headset. Negative. The skies are clear, Captain. I'm getting a final reading of the storm, though, and I can officially confirm it has run its course. Well done, cadets. Goro brought the space train to a low hover. Dallas saw Chesley hold out his arms and roll his eyes dramatically. What's wrong, bro? Too flashy for you? Not at all. I am just, as you say, checking my surroundings. He rolled his eyes again. Dallas and the cadets laughed as they hopped aboard. Doug went to hand Chesley his shelter key, but the storm preacher pushed the key back into his hand. Keep them as a token of our appreciation. May they remind you that you always have a home here on Fury. He and the other Furians bowed. Thank you, Doug said, returning the bow. Oh, I almost forgot. Chesley said, stopping them. This note was left for you at the heart of the sanctuary. He handed an envelope to Doug, who looked at it curiously. Thanks. Once they'd said their goodbyes, the train lifted off, and Doug and his team met in the cockpit. What is it? Lydia asked, nodding to the envelope. More fan mail, Dallas joked. Doug tore open the envelope and unfolded the note inside. He read the message aloud. Thanks for the head start, cadets. I'll let you know how the weather is on Earth. Yours truly, the Rocket Man. 
Hey, 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 Rocketeers. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Space Train. I want to thank my mom, Roxanne Webb, for helping me edit that story, and Jeremy from HarmoniousIdeas.com for helping edit the audio. And I really want to thank some very special patrons, some new patrons, Zion and his sister Soliana and their parents, Jonathan and Amara. Thank you so much, you guys, for your support. And I also want to thank Mylan and his mom, September, from Madison, Wisconsin. Mylan, I hear your favorite character is Doug from Space Train. I hope you like that episode, dude. And I want to give one more very special patron shout out to Josh and Ollie from Melbourne, Australia. Woo! Australia, that is awesome. You guys are officially way cooler than I'll ever be just because you're from Australia. I don't know what it is about you Aussies. You just reek of coolness, okay? There's just, just something cool about you. But thank you so much, Josh, Ollie, for your support and all you other patrons out there who are helping support this podcast. Rocketeers, if you want to help support the show, go to patreon.com slash Podcast. These awesome patrons have been huge in getting me help with these episodes. So thank you so much, you guys. It's funny because in this episode, I could see some of the influences that went into the ideas for this one with these key shelters, the pop-up shelters. Since we're looking for a home right now, there's like this fantasy in my head that like the world was covered in these holes that I could just, everybody has a key and we could all kind of wander around wherever we want and just stick the key in the hole and turn it in like a, like an igloo pops up and creates a shelter for the family and we're like okay like we're done with this spot and we like retract and we go like you know pop up a shelter and we go wouldn't that be awesome man that and then the fact that we're dealing with the summer storms here in southern Colorado there's these beautiful rainstorms that sweep in and just oh man I love summer storms growing up in Arizona we had the monsoon season where you know you had like a year's worth of rain coming in through the desert in just like a week or two's time in like late July August and any of the listeners out there in Arizona and other parts of the world that have monsoons you know what I'm talking about it's just like a celebration all that you get these like almost dark brown clouds that get together and the rain just falls in just these super thick sheets. If you're driving, sometimes you have to pull over because the rain's so hard, you can't see out the windshield. But as a kid, you just, it was so magical as it started raining, it was like this warm rain in the summer and you run out, you're running through the streets, the gutters are just like gushing, like they're rivers and all the parks, they start to flood, they become almost like these ponds you could swim in. But I remember like as a kid splashing around in this like pond by this park during a monsoon and like some kid drove like a dirt bike along the street next to the flooded park and was towing a wakeboarder behind it. Like this wakeboarder kid was like wakeboarding in the pond behind this dirt biker going through the park. I thought it was the coolest thing. I was like, what the heck? And I thought skimboards were genius. Like that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Just so many good, good memories and watching those lightning storms being on your back porch and just watching the nonstop lightning shooting across the skies like the clouds go over the desert. It's cool. It's cool. Anyway, I had to reminisce a little bit because this episode was clearly inspired by, you know, what's going on around us right now. Rocketeers, I hope you're having an awesome summer. I hope you're having fun. You're getting outside. You're making new friends. You're spending time with family and making the most of it. Thank you so much for listening and making me and the podcast a part of your summer. I love it. Till next time, Rocketeers, this is your host, Greg Webb.